0: You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can-eat-more... getting this book on ufo's did you know they're real but there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up oh that's just a paranoid fantasy i want to be a book you can pick me
1: up flip through my pages make sure nobody drew wieners in me
0: Hello, and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because you didn't vote for us to stop. (laughs) My name is Kevin, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Benedict, a man who is either very sad or very happy right now. (laughs) Benedict! How do you feel about chicory coffee? Ooh,
1: uh i think might
0: mu- switching it up on you since we screwed up the last recording. I feel like
1: we tell people that we screwed up recordings with such amazing regularity now. It's always yes. my fault, by the way. Um, it absolutely is. I have a very old Mac that just is very temperamental and sad. Um, chicory Coffee, I don't know. This might be the first question you've asked me where I don't have an opinion. Oh, I don't. I don't really know what that is. So
0: it's a it's a Louisiana tradition, gotcha. which uh, I think I, I think I brought this up maybe a week or two ago. Uh, I don't know if I actually did or not. Where I I occasionally buy gimmick products, uh-huh. um, and I was at the grocery store and I saw Cafe Du Monde, uh, coffee and beignet mix, oh. and uh, it's a tradition. Louis, you know, uh, New Orleans is one of my favorite cities on the planet, and Cafe Du Monde is the place where you go early in the morning. You get your your chicory coffee, cafe au lait, and beignets, which are like...
1: Donuts. Donuts yeah.
0: of a type. Yeah. Ton of powdered sugar on them. Um, and you just walk down the street and enjoy that. And uh, it's it's a lot more bitter than regular coffee, I would say. Um, but uh, because you generally drink it with a lot of milk, it takes takes the edge off of it.
1: Okay. All right. I get it. I, d- I don't have an opinion. I guess opinion. you just don't know. You just no. don't know. If you don't know. Now you know. But I didn't know, so I can't have an opinion on it. <laughs>
0: Fine. Well, anyways, uh, I alluded to it in the intro, but uh, you are either very sad or very happy right now for a reason, mm. and that is obviously because of the election, which is coming up tomorrow as we record. Yep. We're recording on Monday night before the election. Uh, Benedict, let's get into your predictions for the election. Oof, predictions. I hate <laughs> I hate this. So we're changing the whole show yeah, today. Yeah, no, this
1: is actually not a Ben Shapiro book anymore. Um, <laughs> well, I hope Ben Shapiro will be very sad because I know he is voting for Trump this yes. time around.
0: So, Oh, I want Ben to be sad.
1: Yeah, me too. Um,
0: Does it make me a bad person to want that? No, no it
1: definitely doesn't. not. It doesn't. Definitely yeah. not. Um, I would say unless the polls are really, really, really wrong, there's only one outcome. So let's hope it's that.
0: I mean, it, let's be honest. If Trump loses, Ben will finally discover what WAP is. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure his wife will be happy. Uh, so, Benedict, let's move on. You got a hot take for us this week. I
1: do, yeah. Uh, so we have discovered the Netflix <laughs> Yule log this time around, and uh, it's great, and I love it. I, I grew up with like a legit fireplace, and this is just mm-hmm. as good.
0: See, and I grew up in California, but we had a fireplace in our house. Because you were but we rich. Never used You're it from a rich well, family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. have a but fireplace. we never used it, right? Because yeah. it doesn't get that kind of cold in California. So the only time it was ever lit was just like for looks. Yeah. That was the it's only reason when you reason had people over really. and they're like, exactly. oh,
1: come around the fire. Yeah, I get it.
0: Yeah, uh, like that, like that. Netflix Fire, Fire is good. Yep. We're all we're all in favor it's, of that. It's uh, the birch
1: one, by the way, not the, the classic. Birch it's the birchwood one, which is obviously the classic yeah. fire. Who cares? All about that birch. Exactly. It's it's got a better crackle. I'm all
0: about that birch. About that birch. About that birch. Anyways, before we have to pay royalties, <laughs> uh, my hot take this week is the comeuppance of the anti-mask crowd, okay. as we all know. Over the past months and. But by, by the way,
1: I like that the on. comeuppance isn't that they get COVID and die. It's that they might no. be a bit cold. Like,
0: <laughs> is that it's cold outside <laughs> now, and they're finally going to realize how nice it is to have something covering your face.
1: What's your go-to mask?
0: My good, I just have these these plain black uh masks that I got from somewhere. I ordered them online back at the beginning okay. of the pandemic, and I've just been washing them. You know, I've got like five, so I've got a rotation. Mm-hmm. If I. Uh, so I, you know, when they're in the the hamper, I'm not running out of them. I do have my my cow mask, uh, which is very important. Gotta yep, got to represent. Got my Berkeley yep. Berkeley mask. Um, uh, those are the, I think those are the only ones I have. I don't really have any other than those. Okay. what do you have a special mask you've been wearing no, around? No,
1: I, I we have ones that are like made like from scrubs, like scrub material that are just like mm-hmm. leftover scrubs. So those are the ones we ordered at the beginning, and then like we got a little fancy and ordered some eras and ones from Uniqlo. Ooh. So the, the, those are the ones I, I exercise in now. But
0: How nice. Yeah. How nice. Well, Benedict, why don't you tell me What's on your bookshelf this week?
1: Bookshelf this week is "Say Nothing" by Patrick Radden Keefe. Who's a I refuse. Staff, I will say I, something. I've never been able to get you to shut up. So, <laughs> um, it's a staff writer at the New Yorker about what we 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 so charmingly refer to as the Troubles, which was the paramilitary campaign in Northern <laughs> Ireland to try yeah, and get know, all those terrorist attacks. The British, well, I mean, freedom fighters, terrorists. Yeah, yeah I open to interpretation. It.
0: Some of it was terrorism. Yeah, I mean, Some of it might have been been freedom fighting it was I, think was you, I think there was a mix i think there was a mix as
1: with all these things there's some violence there's some unnecessary violence it's all not great um so yeah
0: but one thing we can all agree on it is an objectively funny name to call that the situation. troubles yeah, yeah. yes <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's very it's very British to downplay it. It's like, oh, there's mm-hmm. just some troubles in Northern Ireland. Like, okay, cool. Anyway, uh, it delves into the stories of a bunch of characters that were involved, including uh, Jerry Adams, Brendan Hughes, Bobby Sands, who died of the from the hunger strike. Uh, very famously, wasn't there a
0: recent documentary about Bobby Sands? I feel uh, like there was. Maybe there was a film. There was one Netflix was trying to push on me, but I never watched.
1: Maybe there was a movie with. Um, Michael Fassbender, like 10 years ago. Oh, maybe
0: that was it. Maybe that was it.
1: But yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't, oh, I don't know of any. Anyway, it's about all those people. Um, and it's very interesting.
0: Fantastic. What about you? Well, for me this week, I have the ongoing George Floyd, well, they might be done with it by now. I'm not actually hundred percent sure if they're still uh, doing the series, but the ongoing George Floyd series by the Washington Post. Uh, it's been an excellent series of long form uh, articles, really great writing uh, looking at George Floyd's life and you know what he experienced through what we know about his life and what uh, he likely went through based on some of ex- his experiences, uh, and I think it's it's prescient and it's a perfect thing to read right now as we we wait through the next couple of days mm. figuring out what exactly happened in this election. All right. So just a couple of housekeeping things before we get into the actual book review portion, which is supposed to be what this podcast is about. Uh, first of all, there's a new patron-only bonus episode for the month of October, which, yes, I know we're in the beginning of November, uh, but we're recording it as soon as we're done recording this main episode today. Uh, eventually, we'll get around to doing them in the month they're supposed to be in. Uh, I'm nope. sure we'll, we'll do that eventually. We won't. That's a lie. <laughs> yeah, fashionably late. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> your wife will be mad at me for saying yep. that. Uh but anyways, so that's going to be going up um, pretty soon and probably probably by the end of this week. Uh, and I'm excited because we have, we have two things this week. One is a, a last-minute you know, last article, opinion piece uh, in The Hill uh, about the election, uh, you know, an argument for re-electing Trump. <sighs> and the other one we're doing is the fantastic work. The Conscience of a Conservative by Barry Goldwater, which I think it's, it's a good time to dive into and sort of get the underpinnings of where all this came from because Barry Goldwater radically changed the right in the United States. And it's fair to say that a lot of their ideas come directly from him, especially about issues like federalism, mm. uh, which is one of their big, big harping points. So I'm excited to get into that uh, and see how you react <laughs> to some of that. Right. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And the only other thing in housekeeping this week is uh, I, I was wrong at the end of the, or the beginning of the last flashback episode, where I said that that was the last installment ...of The Russia Hoax by Greg Jarrett. There's actually a second half to that chapter we recorded uh, way back when... ...and put up for patrons only, our 7.5... ...and I've decided that that's going to remain for patrons only. So if you want to hear the end of that chapter... ...before we start uh, reviewing the rest of that book... in brand new, fresh episodes coming up soon... Uh, then you're going to have to go become a patron over at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. Otherwise, you're uh, you're out of luck. By, by the way, that.
1: just uh, just to jump in there, did you see Greg Jarrett blamed like, big Wi-Fi on not being able to yes. yes. file a column yes. day, the other day? I was
0: <laughs> so happy when and one of our listeners uh, tweeted it at me. Greg Jarrett's excuse saying that uh, it was like Joe Biden had attacked his Wi-Fi or something no, so he it had to go a, out he was into just into
1: like the street. I find it very suspicious that a As soon as I file my anti-Joe Biden column that my wife... You know what he meant. He meant Joe Biden had attacked his wife. I just, like, with, with like, the head (laughs) trimmer around the back of the house, just like...
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was amazing. It was really amazing. I'm I'm so excited to get back to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. But anyways, Benedict, with that, we return to our review of The Right Side of History by Ben Shapiro, dressing on the side in human form. Benedict... What do we read this week?
1: (laughs) Well, Kevin, this week we read chapter five, Endowed by Their Creators, which is a chapter whose thesis is that all men are created equal. Uh, You know, uh, equal. Yeah. uh, Yeah
0: sort of yeah. sort of equal because I will say uh, throughout this chap, there's a portion where he goes into the declaration of independence and Wild. I did write on my page over the words he had written in about 80 point font slaves yeah. about four times it's,
1: it's not and he the, the best thing is well worst thing best thing is he just doesn't even like attempt to contend with it he's just like no, you know he they bra- said, he, but he points it out
0: he points it out but then doesn't deal with it at all yeah. he just hand waves it away ah they weren't perfect yeah
1: Anyway, this was a really, really silly chapter. Not silly, but just like it. Let's be
0: honest. This was a boring as hell. No,
1: okay. You know what this chapter is? It's it doesn't advance his argument in any way. It's just an excuse for him to be like, I've read Locke. Like that. That's all this (laughs) chapter is.
0: Yes. And so just to give you an overview of what this chapter is supposedly about, this is basically where he brings everything we've been talking so far, right? The Greeks and the Romans and Israel and all that, and ties it into the United States. Mm. And he tries to, he sort of does a a bum rush through the Renaissance and the Enlightenment period, goes through Hobbes and Locke. It's an intro to philosophy paper, really, is all it is. And then says basically that the founding fathers knew all that stuff when they put it into our Constitution, and that's why it's all so great.
1: Mm without mentioning madison once which is bizarre <laughs> like the, the person I think he who, might
0: he might have once just to say that he was a slave owner yeah uh, who <laughs> was said slavery was bad even despite being a slave owner yeah. i think he might have said that but yeah yeah bear, but really like literally Glossanova. the person
1: who made it his business to study every system of government that had ever been tried yeah. like no we won't mention madison he
0: spends a lot more time talking about old tommy jeffs yeah. than he does uh the guy who wrote the document—he's supposed to care about. Yep. but anyways, Ben, you got an alternate chapter title for uh, us this week. Yeah,
1: and you're gonna hate me because it's the same as your joke. I know. Oh, this. you bastard! Um, actually, I'm gonna go go with a different one. Um, I'll leave you to yours. My my chapter is my chapter title is "Moral Certainty is Bad Unless It's Religion."
0: <laughs> very good, very good. Uh, my I have three, as I I am always to do from time to time. Uh, first off, the, the chapter title, remember, is Endowed by Their Creators. So, of course, the easy one, Poorly Endowed classic, by Their Creators. Classic.
1: I went with Well Endowed by Their Creators, but I thought yep, I'd let you yep, have... Yep, yep, yep,
0: yep. Uh, Another one of mine is I Think Therefore I Scam, because uh, we get a nice long Descartes digression in this chapter. Which, uh, uh, by my, the way,
1: every every digression we get is evidence that there is a God. Just like <laughs> every yeah, single one about. Is just like, and Descartes said this, and therefore God exists. Like, what? Huh?
0: Yeah. And my final one is Philosophy 101 for Dummies. I mean, conservatives.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: Good. And with that, why don't we get into it? Starting off with, he begins this chapter, telling us, and I'll just read the quote, "...if one attitude characterizes modern politics, it's an attitude of complete and utter moral certainty. Those on the political left are certain that those who oppose them are Nazi-esque monsters, hell-bent on domination of their individual lives. Those on the political right are certain that the opposite is true." I completely agree with that statement. That I mean, that's pretty much true of how the sides look at each other yeah, these
1: days. I, I don't know if that's true. It's his
0: fault that the sides look yeah, at each other that way, say, uh,
1: but well, it still is basically couple, true. A couple things. First of all, he says this as if it's a bad thing. He says it's an attitude of complete and utter moral certainty. Most people with complete and utter moral certainty are people who let religion guide their politics, first of all, mm-hmm. and that doesn't tend to be the left, I would just say. Yes. Um, second of all like i don't know like i guess the left does think that but also when he says the right believes the opposite is true what is the opposite like what does he mean by that
0: i think he means that they view the left as the nazis
1: yeah maybe but like the opposite is actually that the right isn't
0: nazis that's what the, well, here, the is. other part is that one of those two sides is correct about the other <laughs> oh. and it's not his way around <laughs> Yeah.
1: And he just, I I wish he would, this is another thing that he does is he says like he hand waves things and then implies things like what, just say what you mean. Like if you think the left are communists, say the left are communists. If you think the left are Nazis, be specific.
0: Well, I'll give him at least enough credit to say that because it's just the opening paragraph, he was trying to sound nice and put some flourish on it and, and sound, you know, not just dump it all out there in the open. So I'll at least say that about the opening paragraph. But he continues on by telling us that the history of the West teaches us that while we must share a common vision for our civilization, the means by which we pursue that vision need not be shared. Does it, though,
1: also? Is that what the history of the West teaches us?
0: (laughs) Have you not read this book up to this point? What does that
1: mean? What does literally what does that mean? It means nothing. It means nothing.
0: Sure. again as most of the points he tries to make in this book are they mean they really mean nothing when you get every down
1: to it. every sentence is a transition sentence mm. that's exactly. l- literally the, <laughs> his writing you know style. What?
0: that's the best description <laughs> i've heard of this book so far there you go that's great but he tells us next he moves on and, and there's a little bit of catholic bashing in here of course yeah uh he brings up pope boniface i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right i've never known if i was Body that right. I think. Bony Face. I think that sounds face. Right? face. Yeah. Bony Face. Bony Face is the funniest. Yeah. I think that's the one I'm going to go to. How Pope Bony Face VIII uh, found himself arrested uh, by uh, Francis King Philip IV. Mm. Uh, so the entire, there's nothing in this intro paragraph, really. The whole thing he starts off with here is just to say there's a lot of conflict among religion and over religion in the early periods of, of history in the, the West. Yeah. That's it. That's all he's really got here in this beginning part. But he says, coming out of that, quote, from this era of challenges, two strong new ideas emerged. First, human beings are capable of exploring the world and bettering their material condition in it. Second, each human being is free and endowed with natural rights.
1: Mm. Yeah, it. it this, but this is in in the subsection of the power of science, right? That's the.
0: Well, that's before the. section Oh, uh, okay. About sorry, power I lost my word yes.
1: slightly. Yeah, I mean, I guess it. It's just. <sighs> yeah i don't know is that where I feel like those, those ideas things emerge? were
0: probably probably before yeah. um probably existed as ideas before this time period he's going to be talking about well, now did,
1: i mean didn't didn't we have that whole thing about ancient greece we had that, is that whole not... thing about ancient greece yeah,
0: yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I think that's the time period I was referencing. I don't, I don't
1: think these, these ideas emerged in the full. He needs to century. go back and read his book, yeah, man. I'm just so. saying. He's one of those people that writes a book, a chapter at a time, and it's just like he a sure, series of essays. For as
0: much as he seemed to love Aristotle and talk about Aristotle wanted to better the human condition through science, he sure doesn't seem to remember that he wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> So, we move into the first subsection here, which is called The Power of Science. Mm -hmm. And the first individual he's going to talk to us about in this chapter, or write about in this chapter, uh, is an individual named Nicole Mm Erezmi. And the reason why this is so fucking funny to me is that several months ago, well, this is actually long before the coronavirus pandemic. This is probably last winter or late summer. I was at a cigar bar in D.C., and I think I probably told this story on the show or to you before, and I ended up through no idea how this happened, um, talking to a guy sitting at the table next to us, and he dropped during that conversation, "I'm a podcaster. Have you heard of me?" No. Which of course I had never fucking heard of him. But then later on in the evening, I became aware that this guy's name is Michael Knowles, oh, no. and he has a podcast with the Daily Wire as well as a podcast with fucking Ted Cruz. <laughs> Great, Love that. he's a podcast partner with Ted fucking Cruz and this guy for no reason like uh, he, I think we have like barely touched on politics and he all of a sudden wanted to get into fucking religion because he's a Catholic theocrat
1: mm. and he
0: when I was like you know I just told him I'm an atheist whatever and he started trying to prove the, that fucking atheism's wrong to me by saying that this guy Nicola Resme the discoverer of the earth's rotation around its axis was actually a Catholic priest. Sure. Yeah, again,
1: this the argument here is that religious people were religious. Like, they're just, yeah. like, that, sure, yeah.
0: When you didn't allow people to learn things if they weren't in convents or whatever, then yeah, yeah. of course, all your people who know the smart stuff are going to be religious. A lot of the
1: learning took place in monasteries and abbeys yes. and shit. Like, yeah, that is a think and, and
0: particularly given that this chapter goes into the renaissance and the enlightenment periods the periods where education came out of monasteries yeah It really cuts contrary to what he's talking about here he's trying to... Yes, of course, religious people were religious. We know that. But he's going to go through an extensive period of people, right? He's going to talk about Sir Francis Bacon and Galileo and Copernicus and all these people. Of course, they were religious. Religious people were religious back then. Everyone was. It's just the way the world was. But the big thing that separated this period from everything before it was bringing the academy and bringing knowledge and education out of religion and separating it into its own sphere.
1: Yeah, and it, it it's it's great. I love. It. It's like, uh, and then there was a backlash against secular knowledge in Christianity, and that was led by two people you probably haven't heard of: Martin Luther and John Calvin. <laughs> you know, not big deals in the history of Christianity in any way. it wasn't like a a massive push against secular knowledge being included in the Christian worldview or anything.
0: I mean, we could do without that Calvin guy. I'd be fine yeah, without that. No. Also, Luther did some fun shit.
1: Oh, Luther did some anti-Semitic
0: shit. <laughs> oh yeah, that, see, that's that's the fun shit I'm talking <laughs> no. about, and the stuff that the Christians never want to talk about. I would about like is, to disavow Martin myself Luther's from that being fun Semitism. shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so we get in this. He, this is where he drops right the famous persecution of Galileo, uh, and Copern- he, you know, drops Copernicus as well. And this is right after he mentioned that science was was progressed by the church in his view, right? Mm. So, but then he says on the very next page, he drops it for us. He says in 1616, Copernican ideas were banned by the church, a ban which lasted until the early 19th century. And Galileo's official pardon from the Vatican would only be issued at the end of the 20th century. Benedict, do you know what year, and I looked this up and I was like, holy shit, do you know what year the Vatican pardoned Galileo?
1: I would imagine, I would guess like 1983. 1992? Oh, wow, that's literally the after year I was after
0: born. I was born.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the church doesn't often admit it's wrong. To be fair, no,
0: no. That's a whole lot of not admitting they're wrong, though. That yeah. is holding on tight to not admitting they were wrong. Yeah,
1: I think also like after a certain amount of time, they're like, "Do you think everyone just forgot about that? Do you like everyone probably just assumed we were we said we were wrong, right? We don't." Well, there's one to say thing it. I
0: know about the Catholic Church is that they also have a long history of hoping everyone just forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So. Also, okay, the next subsection, oh, well, okay, so he then quotes Newton, again, another religious dude who was like, hey, maybe atheism's bad. Okay, cool, yep, sure, good point made. And then, like, his next one, his next subsection is just, uh, more science. Like, yeah. no, just keep that in this subsection or he come up with a different title.
0: it Scientific Progress, Comma, Continued. <laughs> cool.
1: <laughs> you couldn't have come up with a better subtitle for that. This is I taking like me back he, to Dinesh's <laughs> subtitles.
0: It's really great. It's really, oh, Dinesh, no one's ever going to beat Dinesh D'Souza's subtitle. Let's be honest there. Nobody's ever going to beat those subtitles. But in the subsection, scientific progress continued. We just move on to a slightly later time period and we get into Francis Bacon. Yep. And Bacon, according to his rejection of Aristotelian science and blah, blah, blah suggesting, you know, Bacon suggesting that science could be used to uh, determine governance and ethics and things like that. And this is where I think what you pointed out, this, this book sort of just takes a detour into trying to prove that God is real, yeah. where he sort of forgets what the point of this chapter was, which is not uncommon among the conservative writers we read, but he dives into, you know, Francis Bacon believed in God, so obviously God is real, well, and then you know, goes Do you know into what I Descartes. actually
1: think it is? Do you know what mm-hmm. I actually think it is? Uh, and it's kind of foreshadowing what happens later in the chapter. There's actually very little ev- evidence that the founding fathers were super Christian. Like, yeah. a lot of them weren't. So what he's doing, mm, they were think he's trying to bolster that, yeah. So I think what he's doing is the founding fathers relied on the ideas of these people who were religious therefore the founding fathers were christians you know in that sense so there i think yeah i mean jefferson was definitely not anything more than a deist and you could yeah. argue the same for a number of the others i think hamilton was the only one who had someone on his deathbed confessing so or like giving gi- giving last rites so and yeah. that was cuz he got shot so <laughs>
0: yeah I know I, I I get what you're saying. I think that makes sense as far as the progression of the chapter. I don't think he tied it together well if that's what he was intending to do, but I can see how that uh, that sort of that sort of lays the groundwork for that mm. argument later. when he does sort of just gloss over the religious beliefs of the founding fathers, that he wants us all to think we're highly religious people and wanted a you know theocratic nation. So, and there's there's really nothing more to say about this subsection. No, I mean, you know, he talks the, about Descartes. The the,
1: the the only bit I would say, I would highlight is he goes, oh, Bacon is like modern social scientists. He hates social scientists. He <laughs> thinks it's not real study. Like, he hates that shit. But yeah, of none course. of this subsection amounts to an argument.
0: No, really. it doesn't. I mean,
1: it, it's just... Yeah, he says, Descartes says, I think, therefore I am, therefore God exists. I mean, that's literally the whole paragraph on on Descartes. Yeah, I
0: mean, he ends the subsection saying basically that Bacon and Descartes, that because they threw theology out of their scientific study, led the groundwork for uh, God to be separated from all of science entirely, which he claims both of them would have hated.
1: Yeah, That's we it. we also really bounce around in this chapter because in the next subsection we go back to Machiavelli, who is, as we know, a fifteenth century person rather than an eighteenth century yes. thinker. Yes, and Benedict, so,
0: what did he title that subsection? He
1: said the rise of classical li- classical liberalism. <laughs> wow, I've never heard of this. This is amazing. You mean I can just reframe libertarian ideas as classical liberalism <laughs> and get a whole new audience? Get yes, funded by yes, the Koch brothers? Exactly what
0: I'm saying. So in this subsection, the rise of classical liberalism, you're right. Time-wise, he jumps back immediately to, well, he has Marsilius before, but then he goes to Machiavelli first, right? And basically, this whole next, I don't know, this is like five or six pages of the chapter is just like, I think I wrote this paper in my first intro to political science class. Yeah, this is what happens when the
1: the essay is due tomorrow and Wikipedia is the only source you have. We're like, yeah. well, in The Prince, Machiavelli wrote this, because this is the the quote that's on the Wikipedia page. But then if you click the link, it takes you to uh, the other thing that Machiavelli wrote that's famous. Uh, yes. Discourses <laughs> on Livy. That's that's the <laughs> other one that I wanted to reference, because like, Livy seems important to this discussion in no way.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, he just references The Prince and Livy. And basically, his only the only thing to pull out of his discussion of Machiavelli is basically Machiavelli didn't care about virtue or... Or uh, thought people were were unvirtuous and thought that you need a powerful rule. The thing we all know about Machiavelli, right? Which then later filters down into Hobbes. Mm. Then he jumps into Lutheranism and how it challenged the Catholic Church,
1: who, by the way, was no Democrat. As if Democrats no, no. were a thing that existed at the time.
0: <laughs> Absolutely not. There was only one thing I did pick out of this that was because there's like so little of importance in this whole section of the chapter, unless I mean I guess it could be an intro to political science for conservatives, but whatever, I don't care. Um, He quotes an individual who he says, history professor Joseph LeConte of King's College. Benedict, Mm. what's King's College?
1: King's College is a constituent college of the University of London. Is it yeah. really now? Yeah.
0: Because the Joseph Lacant, who he's referencing, has never worked at a constituent college of any any university in the United Kingdom. Oh, weird. He works at the King's College, oh. which is a private Christian school operating out of the Empire State Building in New York City. Oh, that's not the same. Yeah, they have a "the" in front of theirs.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> sneaky. Wow.
0: I, and I honestly wonder if Ben just doesn't I know there's doesn't a know. difference. I bet he doesn't really know do.
1: that the guy's not at King's College.
0: I, I really wonder. I have no idea. But fun fact, uh, this is also the King's College you may remember from our review of Dinesh D'Souza's book, The Big oh, Lie. Oh, fun. That, from when Dinesh D'Souza got fired for lying about cheating on his wife. Uh, That's fun. the King's College that Dinesh no, D'Souza of was in Columbia
1: University of. was originally called King's College. They should have kept it.
0: Um, so we go through that, right, a little bit of Calvin, Lutherism, how they clashed with the Catholic Church, and then he talks about the conflicts between the various religious factions, you know, in the 1600s, the uh, Thirty Years' War, and some things like that, and he says it, it's from this, from all this conflict, that the notion of human rights was born, that they forced religious toleration from all of the wars in the 1600s because as we know that was the end of religious conflict in the world yeah yeah yeah
1: definitely also i like that he think i i don't really understand but i think the implication is this was just people disagreeing about the best way to run a society which is what he says in the first page
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, i think a little deeper than that a little deeper than that <laughs> of deeper. course we know ben is all about simplification
1: yeah, I, I mean, there is a there is something to be said just for the lack of even thought of the process of like realpolitik or like, a, a, you know, dialectic or Marxist reading of history. And it's all just like religion, which is just seems like a lazy way of looking at things. Yeah, like, yeah, I know. You, you, you know, I, I know, you know, but yeah. I'm just I'm just saying it's just it's it's a very lazy way of looking at world defense basically. I like, agree. Why why does religion take hold? Why does why does reformism happen at this moment in time? Why you know, why do these things happen when they do in the way that they do? Like it's not cause Luther was right. Right? right. It's and I think like, at
0: least to Ben's credit, versus I think what would be we would get out of, you know, uh maybe a Christian author or somebody who's trying to to bolster Christianity at least, I think he's not claiming that religion was the cause of those changes or the cause of anything. There were actually real world of you know things going on um, yeah. that that inspired all that. It was, it was the philosophies conflicting and. Of course, there were obviously other issues with the, the 30 Years' War, like fucking land, right? Yeah, and so, the, but th- this is what I'm saying. The 30, the 30
1: Years' of War isn't caused by a conflict of individualism versus prosperous society, right? right? Like right. that's not, philosophy is important, but that's not what it is. That's just like France wanted to own some of the rest of Europe, as yeah. did Spain. And yeah, so it's, you know, there is more to it. than than thinking about the philosophical drivers of the actors of the heads of state.
0: As we know, the real history of the West is rich people wanting to own more of the West. (laughs) And
1: the rest of the world, not just the West.
0: So we get, and and so the only other thing left in that subsection, he goes into this guy, Hugo Grotius, um, just to basically argue that he extended the concept of human rights more. That's the only thing uh, that we get from that. And then we get on to the next subsection, the rise of the individual is where we finally get into Hobbes. And this is where it turns into a Hobbes versus Locke uh, freshman political science. Shapiro take.
1: does not seem to get on with either of these folks, by the way. Isn't no. that my, my subtle reading of the of the subtext?
0: Yes. And so if you're unaware of Hobbes and Locke, uh, you don't need to know anything about them, <laughs> Really, That's you know, that's what I'll say. Uh, we read them in political science. Nobody takes any of it seriously. Locke,
1: Locke, they're they're both important to the development of the U.S. Constitution because they right, were both to
0: the development of. That's that's yeah. the point. Uh, but right, Hobbes is you know his state of nature is brutal and uncaring. Uh, Locke had a slightly different view of the state of nature, uh, and this is just the only people you hear seriously bringing up Hobbes and Locke in arguments are fucking libertarians. It's really the only fucking people who care which is why I don't care. I don't.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you can certainly use, you can use Hobbes to argue for a socialist state, though. So I think there's more, <laughs> there's more to it than that. <laughs> you know, we, we have individual rights, but what do those individual rights entail? And, and do those rights end at survival? I don't think they do. So, right. So I, basically- and also, what, what does the right to survive entail? Does it, 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 does it involve the right to be cared for when you're sick? Which you and, know, I think it does. What
0: I would say is, when you read these in political science classes, you don't focus so much on the individual rights aspect of Hobbes, right? You you focus on like the idea of a a king, right, a sovereign that he comes up with. The uh, I don't remember what his word for it is. Um, Leviathan. Leviathan, right? Yeah. The Leviathan that he, he proposed as the leader of the nation. Uh, and then you get to Locke and you get more into the individual rights stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Which has always been the bedrock of American political science because we harp on that whole individual rights thing a lot, despite much, never living up to say. the promise of actual individual rights.
1: Yeah, it's and, and yeah, it's it, uh, the consent to be governed is a is a big part of both
0: of them. Right, and then, so that's that's it. like we're struggling to s- figure out what to say about this subsection of the chapter. It's just an it's intro. Like... It's
1: an intro to Locke and Hobbes, which we assume our listeners
0: know. Right, and there's there's nothing for us to break down there. He, he, in general, he gets it right. He throws in his own political slant to all of it, but in general, he's just laying out, like I said, what you would put in a freshman political science paper, comparing and contrasting the Hobbesian and Locke worldview. That's it. So let's move on. And Smith,
1: don't forget Smith.
0: And, and Smith. We get a tiny bit of Adam which Smith. Which also at the very is end.
1: always super interesting the way that conservatives forget the big part of Smith's argument was funding for public goods.
0: <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, so the next subsection we get is called The American Triumph, which I actually came up with an alternate subsection Ooh, title, all right. uh, which I wrote. It was called Slow Jamming the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> Because that's what this is going to be. It's going to be a long, drawn-out, going-through of the preamble of the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. That's it.
1: That's all it's going to be. Okay, so to me this is interesting, in a sense, because this first sentence, which I'll read, says, The long philosophical journey would come to fruition in the first country in history to be crafted based on philosophy. (laughs) The United States of America. So couple things countries had not existed for that long first of all like what we mm-hmm. think of in 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 the modern sense of a country yes it uh, was a fairly recent phenomenon when the united states was born nationalism is not a hugely recent phenomenon at this time um it, if anything even developed slightly later uh, you know F- nationalism as a as a building block of Europe and and beyond is is kind of maybe a slightly later phenomenon even. The other thing is, there's this thing that conservatives do. And it, it strikes me that it happens in culture a lot. So the example I always use is whenever they do like modern casting for a play, right, is, and it's like, oh, there's like someone, a person of colour playing a role that was written as a white person. And people are like, oh, I don't like that because it messes with the tradition of it. Say it's Shakespeare. And then, but what actually, and they say that they, they just want Shakespeare to be as it was written, you know. But that's not what they want. Because the Shakespeare as it was written is boys played the girls' parts, Right? Mm-hmm. So there were no women actors in original Shakespeare. That's not what conservatives that want Shakespeare to be as it was when it was originally written want. They want it frozen in time at a moment when they <laughs> deemed it acceptable and they want that to be the tradition that survives. They don't want actual originalism. I think that's that probably the same in, in, in 1952. law. Exactly. I think it's probably the same with legal originalism as well. Um, in that yeah. they, they freeze it at the point in time and claim that's what it was originally. I think that's what's happened here. Here, and that they, he's gone, America's the first country built on the philosophy that I like. Yes. Right? Yes, there are... that's, that's
0: the, the core of it, really. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, you know, there are other countries that, for example, Athens, as a city state, that has <laughs> philosophy as a foundational principle, as we've fucking discussed.
0: And no, beyond that, the, the entirety of that phrase is nothing, right? When he says the first c- a country in history to be based on a philosophy, yeah. that means nothing. No. Because it depends on what level of abstraction you're applying philosophy to, right? Yeah. Every nation was based on some philosophy. Yeah. It's absolutely right when you're saying it's just the one that he likes, right? The UK was a country. It was based on a philosophy or a combination of philosophies or a combination of rules and ideas. He just didn't like that
1: one. Yeah. Also, like, what is philosophy? I believe that the England and Scotland should be the same country. That is my philosophy. Like, that also,
0: is. Also, would like to point out the United States, founded by a bunch of East Coast elites, which he should be against. He should hate that <laughs> shit. He <You> should. <laughs> but he continues on now. You know, and he says they were devotees of Cicero and Locke and Aristotle and the Bible and blah, 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 blah. Mm. Doesn't matter. He says next, I'll say, quote. The founders weren't heedless narcissists, unconcerned with the dangers of radical individualism. They feared a society of religionless individuals. Nor were they tyrannical collectivists. They feared mob rule and the heavy hand of government cramming subjective definitions of virtue down the throats of individuals. That is, In my own personal parenthetical, especially if that virtue definition excluded the right to own people. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, here's the other thing. These are, this is just him mapping the founders beliefs onto his modern day grievances, right mm. that you know, radical individualism and mob rule and virtue signaling like this is this is Ben Shapiro's TED talk
0: like right and and right mob rule that is a phrase you could find back then in writings of various founding fathers. But we now know that they were morally wrong to want to exclude everyone from voting. And that's mm. what they meant by mob rule. They meant the people we don't think are civilized voting. That's what they meant by mob rule. Yeah, which, by
1: the way, is why no one should take any calls to keep the Electoral College seriously. Because Call- it is <laughs> it is nothing like what is laid out in the founding documents now. So there's just no
0: point to it at all. Call me crazy, but I'm going to stick to my guns that if someone thought slavery was good maybe we don't have to listen to everything they said. Or anything, Just maybe. Yes. (laughs) Anyways, we move on to the next page, and we get to where he starts getting into the Declaration of Independence. And we don't get to the Constitution yet. I think we might get to it uh, later on. But for now, we're just dealing with the Declaration. And he starts off, like I said, going basically line by line through the preamble, where he says, quote, The Declaration begins with a ringing statement of authority, that of the laws of nature and of nature's God. This isn't the passivity of Hobbes or Augustine or Luther with regard to the value of the current regime. This is the unification of ancient natural law with the force of biblical drive. It's not the I just Christian want to point God, out there, by the way. If, they, if there was a lot of biblical force behind it, they might not have used the nature's God line. Yeah. They might have just said God. Yeah. And this is where what you said earlier, it comes back to that, where Ben is trying to reinforce Bible, 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 when really we know that a lot of the founding fathers... We're more on the deist bent yeah. than, than what Ben thinks of as, as American Christianity.
1: Yeah, which is weird. like you would think people would embrace that instead of trying to retrofit it. But I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah, a lot.
0: And, and I'll say this about the Declaration of Independence. The preamble of the Declaration of Independence is wonderful. Yeah. Right. It, it states out a lot of things that America has never lived up to, which would be wonderful if we did. But we never lived up to them. And they didn't mean to the founders what they mean to us when we read them now. Yeah, And that's that's where his whole focus and the entire right's focus on things like originalism falls flat. Mm. When, yes, when you read them in a modern frame, they sound wonderful. Truths that are self-evident that all people are created equal. That sounds wonderful. They didn't mean what we think those words mean.
1: Do you know what my favorite bit of this is? When he's what? like, oh, George Mason wrote the Virginia Declaration of Rights, and he wrote, all men are born <laughs> equally free and independent. And then uh, Jefferson just edited that down a bit to make it more, <laughs> uh, you know, just uh, uh, snappy. But like, maybe he just didn't want to sp- spell out that men are born equally free, because that is just not true.
0: Yes, absolutely. And definitely not in Jefferson's time.
1: Definitely eyes. not in Virginia as a
0: whole. <laughs> But he moves on, right? So we got the the laws of nature nature's God, and then he gets to yes, we hold these truths to be self-evident, and then Ben admits such truths are not self-evident. Yeah. Again, this is this is just I I don't understand. He got to choose what he put in this book. Yeah. He's just yeah. destroying his own bullshit here.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then it's just a bizarre like side amble into um talking about like why why Jefferson chose to. I, do you think he would have preferred if Jefferson had gone with property rather than pursuit of happiness? I think probably would have loved that. Yeah. I think he
0: would have loved if they had put property in it. Yeah, I think that would have been right up because we know we know where Ben sits on on political issues. Property is the big thing that they care about, and back then, property that they would have talked about, in which they did talk about in several places. Did include slaves, right? In the Declaration, they talked about the king, you know, taking their property. They were concerned about uh, uh, cases that were going on in the UK regarding slavery. I think the is it the Somerset case? Is that the one that uh, made slavery illegal in London? Had happened uh, shortly before the Declaration, and so that was a big concern at the time. And so right, property included people back then. But obviously we know that modern Republicans and conservatives, property is what they care about. Yeah. Really is as much is as theft. I'd like to say that the left of the materialists, they sure fucking care about their property. <laughs> That's right. So he moves on to the next part of the Declaration: "All men are created equal." And he admits again, obviously, Jefferson did not mean that all human beings are created with equal capacity. Yeah. That's what he chooses to say there yeah. about what Jefferson. Yeah, meant, yeah, capacity. <laughs> yeah, he just over he which he I wrote an enormous font. Slaves. He doesn't
1: engage with slavery at all here. Not at all. No. I, I, I no, quite seriously, no serious thesis on this can can do that can 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 talk about the declaration of independence and not reckon with the fact that it was written by slaveholders
0: yeah you really i mean moving on to the next section he brings up endowed with their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness you brought up earlier right with the property issue over which again i wrote slaves yep and the only thing ben uses that to talk about is the property issue why didn't he say property hmm that's a weird thing well, why didn't why didn't that actually apply in the way that it would seem to apply to any reasonable human being?
1: Yeah, that's, well. I mean, his argument is the right to own property is part of the pursuit of happiness. So even then, he fucking tries to retrofit it.
0: Yeah, and that that's all it is. It's trying to. I mean, that's the entirety of the conservative judicial ideology. Yeah, it's, it's trying trying, to, trying refer- to
1: fit your current ideology onto the yes. the, the opinions of the founding fathers.
0: Yes. And so there's nothing much left in that subsection of the chapter. We get to the final one, which is called The Culmination. And this is where, as in every chapter, we get back to Ben's bullshit framework for human happiness, uh, where he goes through his his individual capacity and collective capacity, all that kind of stuff. Again, there's not much to say about it here, because I hate going through that, because he just came out with that out of nowhere. He didn't actually have a basis to come up with that framework. Yeah,
1: it's his thesis, but it's not a very... But it, he says it's certainly quote, not a synthesis, is it? It's yes.
0: A... But I'm going to I'm going to read the first paragraph of this final section, which starts quote: The founding ideology was the basis for the greatest experiment in human progress and liberty ever devised by the mind of man. But Jones then again, Town. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, it was an idea developed through Judeo-Christian principles and Greek rationality, molded and shaped over time by circumstance, purified in the flame of conflict. It was the best that men have done and the best that men will do in setting a philosophic framework for human happiness.
1: That, I believe,
0: is easily uh, claiming that no one will ever do better. That's always a sign that you're full of shit.
1: Yeah, it's also extremely citation needed. Like, all these things that I have described
0: perfectly (laughs) support my argument, but you don't need to know why. Well, but he says the same thing just a paragraph further down where he says, quote, no better founding document has ever been penned than the Constitution of the United States. The product of compromise, the virtu- that virtue took the form of prudence. And I just gotta say, how about the fucking South African Constitution Pretty they good. wrote in 1996? Pretty good, the ANC. Which has far more protections for individual rights than our Constitution does. Yeah. It's well known as one of the most progressive constitutions on the planet.
1: He has also not read every Constitution in the world. No. I'm sorry. But, like, you can't just be like, this is what I believe is the best piece of writing ever, and then nobody will ever surpass it. But, like, you haven't read the constitution <laughs> that was ratified in Chile this week that replaced the uh, one written by dictator um, yeah. Pinochet. Like, that might be way better than this. It seems like it probably might be.
0: I don't fun know. fact, I actually took a seminar in undergrad on writing constitutions. That's fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite <laughs> constitution? Oh, the South African 1996 Constitution. It's a great constitution. They're guaranteed the right to vote in prison. Literally, if they're in prison, they have to bring them ballots and allow them to vote. Uh, that's why you lose Ben. (laughs) When you live in a country that had a history of suppressing the vote to an extent that Ben could not even contemplate, even though he wants it here in the United States, uh, they've done quite a bit. Uh, to ensure that everyone there is allowed to vote to the fullest extent possible, it's really incredible.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's such a it's such a like. I studied Latin, so therefore I know everything about everything. Like it's such it's such a like little Christian schoolboy like the America is the best view of the world. I don't know.
0: How dare you not say America is the best? How dare you, Benedict? Uh, So just to to gloss through his little framework here, right? He starts off saying, The founding philosophy acknowledges the possibility of individual purpose. That purpose isn't to be supplied by a government or by molding individual citizens to service of the polis. That purpose is supplied by a Judeo-Christian tradition of meaning and value and a Greek tradition of reason. Again, (laughs) the things he said it isn't supplied by? He just then goes back and says, Yeah, I mean, like, the Greek tradition. Like, we're yeah, we want that. Like... (laughs) All the stuff they did, I mean, we want that, but we don't want all of it. We just yeah. want some of
1: it. We, we want also a God. For no reason, really.
0: And then he says the founding philosophy also glorified the power of individual capacity. The founders were fully cognizant that human beings had the capacity for evil as well as good, for passion as well as reason. But they had immense faith in the power of reason to impel human beings toward proper thinking. And that's just going back to what we talked about with the Greeks. That's just virtue theory. Yeah. He's just laying out virtue theory, which again, we brought up many times. Fucking ancient Greece is not the only place that virtue theory has ever existed. So this whole thing about this being in the West nonsense it's my, all nonsense my favorite thing that he does is like brings
1: up obscure quotations that are much less famous than like <laughs> other quotations by the same people on the same thing so for example like when he gets to the communal purpose bit he yes. he talks about uh, Jefferson writing to Madison that uh, he's persuaded no constitution was ever before so well calculated as ours for extensive empire and self-government empire not great first of all <laughs> second of all um jefferson also really famously wrote to the point where it's in his memorial that he doesn't think he thought the constitution should be rewritten every 20 years so as not to burden our descendants with the opinions of us which is like making them wear an old coat that doesn't fit us anymore (laughs) which is like a much more famous thing that jefferson said about the constitution
0: yes Oh, but that very much cuts against the ideology that Ben wants to put forward, that the Constitution is the same. It yeah. stays the same. No, I just it think, it, I, I think
1: it's funny that he finds all these obscure quotes when there are just these super famous quotes that say the also, opposite. Also, I, I
0: do love the idea of someone who was involved in creating a thing saying, yo, we did the best. We did the best one of those that anyone could do. That that thing's the shit.
1: Yeah, but then also was like, but probably won't apply in 20 years, to be fair. Like, yes. Like, <laughs> yeah to be fair to him uh, at least on that point
0: but then for the end of this chapter the last thing he's going to touch on is the you know of course Benedict or, no. I, I, I struggle I struggle so much when we do these I know, to not I know. call him Benedict That's I really do because I know his name is Benjamin but then when I was editing last, the last new episode I realized I called him Benedict yeah I know I know
1: it's decided of say Yes, yes. It I, I,
0: I listened to you realize I had gotten that wrong as I said it <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> with that, without me noticing at all, yeah. uh, of course, which is great. But, anyways. Uh, What Ben has to throw in here is, of course, the whole him viewing everything through his modern lens of the federalism conflict or small government ideology that conservatives have. So he has a little bit here towards the end talking about how they didn't give the central government such strong powers, which flies in the face of the entirety of history, given that the whole point of writing that constitution was because their previous government had had too weak of a federal government. Yeah, that doesn't seem right. (laughs) Nope. So... We're at the end, there's like, we've we've struggled Again, to get something out of this chapter, because there's as so little say, in
1: here. As you say, very at the very end, he's like, uh, yeah, and also Jefferson owned slaves, and so did Madison, so... <laughs> Yeah, on uh, the very last page. Uh, there are some contradictions there. He
0: said, And I'll read that. He says, quote, The founding was rife with self-contradiction. That great exponent of liberty, Jefferson, a man who called slavery a cruel war against human nature, was a slaveholder and the father of six children by slave, Sally Hemings. Madison, another slaveholder, said that slavery, based on mere distinction of color, was the most oppressive dominion ever exercised by man over man. Hand wave, move on to a new paragraph, yeah. and he's done with dealing with that. But,
1: but then also, for Frederick douglas
0: yeah but then, uh, then he does say <laughs> also, also Fred- and separately douglas yeah who, who had a very clear agenda decided to use the document everyone liked to try and support his agenda so uh, obviously it's the shit
1: yeah and i mean you know douglas's favorite famous speech by agenda what the, i mean what, a good agenda yeah. obviously <laughs> no but like his famous speech what to the slave is the fourth of july begins with hey the founding fathers were great but bad like that's literally how the speech begins and he's like why do i care like yeah yeah, sure they were great for you but what does that mean to me nothing that's the whole speech
0: and that's one of the things about, like, back then, Frederick Douglass, I think, is the mo- the biggest example of this, is that he would make whatever argument he thought might swing a couple people. Yeah. Right? So he, w- you know, I don't know if we know how he personally actually felt about those things. I don't know what, what survives of what he might have said when it wasn't being recorded, or not recorded, but written down, or whatever the case well, might he be. Wrote,
1: he wrote a lot of books <laughs> about right. his own thinking of these things. And that- a lot
0: of his books had contradictory arguments yep. or different arguments and changed over time. So I don't know. And- PR um,
1: through line not loath as I am to recommend other podcasts they just did a really good podcast on yeah. on Frederick Douglass um, and his his fight for universal suffrage and and getting not only the vote for African-Americans but for women as well was one of yep. the big things that yep. he fought for and that everyone should have the right to vote which is something that Republicans still seemingly do not agree with
0: oh uh, no I know <laughs> so Benedict Going into the end of this chapter, I will read, as I always do, the final paragraph, which is as follows quote, But that founding philosophy, the crown jewel of the West, has not prevailed. It has instead been gradually decaying. With that decay, the foundations for human happiness have been eroding. We, in our day, may be watching them collapse completely. How could such a collapse occur? Gradually, slowly, and then all at once. Grace. End of chapter five.
1: Unseen <laughs>
0: that's really like hold on let me get out of character
1: you know my my. okay so I used to direct student theatre Yes. my favourite thing to do with my low ass budget student theatre is whenever someone's doing a dramatic speech you slowly lower the lights around them and put a spotlight <laughs> onto the person doing it that is what that piece of writing at the end there was and then yes. you snap out of it and it's like next scene that was like my my trademark like Focus on move. this person, yeah. You yeah. go it's to. Slowly dimming the lights and, and <laughs> yeah, so that's what that was anyway.
0: Well, Benedict, that's it for this chapter. Of course, we're going to be back in two weeks with a new chapter. But as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we are going to be back next week doing The Russia Hoax by Greg Jarrett. We have brand new chapters coming out of that. We're going to be finally finishing that book. I'm, I'm super excited about it. I don't know about you. I'm pretty excited about
1: it. I'm not. i know i hate that fucking book and just because
0: (laughs) when i was doing all the edits to put it together to reissue it i had to listen to your just loathing hatred of that book
1: i hate that book because not only is it a shitty book it's Mm -hmm. got dumb internal contradictions the snowball of whatever snowball of
0: inferences snowball
1: of inferences and then it's about the fucking law which is just the most boring (laughs) subject in the world
0: how dare you how (laughs) dare you my good man
1: i knew (laughs) also (laughs) just the law is fucking crazy we'll talk about this on the patron show listen to the patron show
0: yeah we're gonna go record the patron show right now of course uh that means we have to we have to say goodbye to all of you and thank you for listening of course We hope you enjoyed the show. If you can't get enough of us, remember you can go over to patreon.com forward slash nygbc and become a patron for as little as $2 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, drawings to win our copies of the books we read, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Savi Aquino, Rung the Deceiver, Danielle, Terrified Will Be Pecked to Death by Lame Ducks, Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen and Cindy Dimmock. AJ Brantley, Taru Takannon, Skeptical Seventh, and Andrew Jenko. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, biff, bam, pow, zip, goodbye. Goodbye.